So I've always known I had this in me, and I did what everybody else tried to do, and I tried to ignore it. Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pop-Tart Podcast. I mean, the, the Creative Pep Talk Podcast, sorry. This isn't about funky pastries. This is about creative careers. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pop-Tart. You can follow me at Andy J. Pizza on Instagram at Andy J Pizza. So you can go check out all the creative pep talk stuff on there and stay up to date with all of my cool drawings. Go check out my drawings. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site, it's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, AndyJPizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. up this episode gets a little feisty in terms of the language so in case your type of parenting style uh, means that you don't want your kids to hear those words then this episode is one they might want to skip maybe you don't let those words enter your own sweet innocent brain and boy do i support you you sweet baby but this episode's going to have a little funk to it why because we've got james victory on the show james victory He's been a dream guest of mine, someone who fits the episode, the podcast so perfectly. Uh, he has his own creative career advice. He's kind of, I'm kind of like good cop. He's kind of like bad cop when it comes to your creative career. Maybe I'm too sweet on you. He'll he'll kick your booty into action. Go check out his YouTube channel and uh, I'll put it in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. But also, James has a new book. It's called Feck Perfection and uh, it's about facing your fears in your creative career. It's a beautiful book, fully illustrated. 
uh, tons of wisdom, a career's worth of wisdom. James has posters in the MoMA, okay? That's all you need to know. You don't need to know more than that. And everything else you need to know, you can hear it from his mouth. Here he is, James Victory. I wanna go all the way back. I wanna give my listeners a little bit of a backstory of who you are and where you came from. And my first question is, what was your ordinary world before the door to the supernatural world of creative career opened up? So what were you before you had ever heard of poster designers? <laughs> That's a super question. You know, um, people ask me, um, you know, um, um, how did I come about doing this? Yeah. Uh, you know, being a designer. And, you know, I have been pretty good my whole life at being pretty introspective and pretty retrospective. And <clears throat> a lot of this is in, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of this is in the book, but I'm, I was born to do this job. I was, as a child, I was curious and I was full of wordplay and I made up songs and I was, I drew on everything and, um, you know, and none of this was condoned, you know, by school or by family or whatever. Encouraged. I was, no, no, no. It was, it was looked down upon and even, even to the, to the effect that I was, I was, I was called creative as a child Mm -hmm. and I knew it wasn't a compliment. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so, you're a creative child. Oh, do you, yeah. So I've always known I had this in me and I did what everybody else tried to do and I tried to ignore it. I tried to, I tried to, you know, go to a regular university. I tried to do what everybody else does. I tried to, you know, I tried to, uh, you know, <clears throat> words I hate. I tried to fit in. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, I realized that I, it's, 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 and it's a long, hard process to realize that you don't fit in because that means you, yeah. you stand out. That means you're vulnerable. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's taken me a quite a long time, Andy, to get comfortable in that. And I'm not, I'm not entirely comfortable being that open and being that vulnerable now and having people know things about my life and putting my 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 pains and my loves and my relationships in my work you know mm. um but that you know that's the path and like i said i had to i had to ignore it and i had to ra- rail against it um until it was until it was um you know clear that you know this was the path to take if you're going to yeah. be happy if you're going to be calm <laughs> You know, um, this is, this is going to be the path to take. And I'm, and I'm so glad I did. And part of the reason to, to be so vocal and to be such a teacher about this stuff is that, is that I know there are other people out there who are just, you know, they're stuck in a box and they were put there by uncreative people and they're, they're, they're chomping at the bit and they, they don't know, they don't know the first step. And so, uh, where, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in upstate New York, the northeast corner of New York State, hemmed in by Burlington, Vermont, and Montreal. So yes. a tiny little town with um, uh, no culture whatsoever. It was a, uh, we moved there because it was a, a military base. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, uh, I lived there until I was 19 years old, and then I moved to New York City. And what were the, before you moved there, what were the things about home and school that you couldn't even when you tried 
uh, fit into. <laughs> oh, I tried. Yeah. So I went to a you know, Catholic high school. Um, so we had to, you know, you had to fit in there and dress mm. like everybody else. And um, <clears throat> and then everybody was going to university. And I, my, my grades were, were, were stellar. I was a smart kid. Um, <clears throat> but I didn't get into... The, uh, the 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 universities that I wanted to mm. um, I was an alternate for the uh, the Air Force Academy which is you know in, in Colorado Springs which is as close as I got um, but I did get accepted to the uh, the university in my hometown uh, uh, State University of New York and yeah. I you know I went there for one semester and then I was asked to leave with a 0.04 cum because I was working a full-time job um, um, waiting tables so I could, you know, make money. And, mm-hmm. um, I was also working as a, uh, as a, uh, as a, a, a national ski patrol. Cause I was a big skier when I was a kid. Um, and basically crying in my car between yeah. classes. Cause you know, I didn't know what to do. Um, and getting kicked out of school was the, was kind of the first step. And then I, the, the restaurant that I worked at was a kind of a fancy place for, for, for this town. And it was lucky enough to have this uh, chef named Gary Danko. And, um, Gary Danko is now like, he runs a a restaurant called Gary Danko's in, uh, in, in San Francisco, which is like one of the restaurants you can't get into, you know? And, you know, he fired me twice. Yeah. You know, and after the second time he were, he and I were hanging out at the bar, uh, he was this tall, flamingly gay, amazing, wonderful, kind, generous guy with massive yeah. hands and wildly creative. And he sat me down and he said, Jim, <laughs> this was my name then. He said, yeah. <laughs> go, he said, go to New York city. Mm. He fucking pointed the way. And I went, I went and I, and I've, I've been back, I've been to him in San Francisco a number of times. And I, every time I go, I, I, I crawl there on my knees and I thank him because yes. he, he was one of the few people who could see through all the bullshit and see why I was getting fired and why I was failing is because yeah. I wasn't in love. And speaking of failure, I want to get back to the story in a second, but you tell a funny story in the book about uh, or a, a powerful story in the book about failure and being on the winter ski patrol. Can you <laughs> just share that real quick? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fail when I was on the ski patrol, but. Or just with part the of, restaurant part of, and school yeah, and all Part of stuff. my, part of my, part of my gig as a, as a, as a ski patrol was, you know, like a lot of standing around, you know, yes. standing at the bottom, standing at the top, you know, waiting for something to happen. And that, you know, that doesn't, for someone who's, 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 you know, ain't got ants in his pants. Um, yeah. um, that's not cool. So I used to, um, uh, try to teach kids and, and, uh, cute young girls how to ski. Yeah. And the, the process was, um, was, I found very interesting. Even then I found very interesting because nobody wanted to fall mm-hmm. and what they would do with their bodies in order that they don't fall was, was painful to watch. You know, um, yeah. and they would look like a basically like a like a like a like a sheet of plywood trying to go <laughs> trying to go down the mountain, <laughs> right? So I had to like teach them how to relax, and I had to teach them, you know, to 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 fall and say, "Listen, if you're not falling, you're not skiing. So just yeah. be cool with that. Just relax and let it go. Because if you're not, then you're gonna break something too. Because you're all like, you know, stiff as a board and scared." Yes. But, you know, but I learned early on that, you know, that was a huge part of the process was failure, failure and, and, and accepting it. And Andy, I think my next book has just got to be, you know, James Victoria failed like a motherfucker. Cause I like, I've got a, I've got a litany, a huge list of, 
people who have failed me and people who've told me I, you know, don't belong and stuff. And I, you know, I think any, 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 any quality creative has that, you know, nobody has yes. just plucked and said, you know, here, here you go. You're a genius, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so, all right, getting back to the story that before you go to New York is poster design already a thing in your mind? Is that something you'd already discovered? Wow. Wow. Good question. Um, <clears throat> In this in this hometown, there were there were two um, two entities that kind of populated the 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 town. It's called Plattsburgh, New York, and uh, it's mm. a um, the, the military base that had been there forever, and the state university. So that was the college. My my dad worked in the military. My mom worked um, in the reference department of the university library. Yeah. And I went to school in town, but we lived outside of town. So I'd get out of school about two thirty, and I'd walk over to the building. And I had about an hour, hour and a half before she got out of work and could drive me home. So what she would do is she knew I liked to draw. So she would give me, you know, stacks of typing paper and a pen or a pencil. And she just pulled out these reference books off the shelf and said, here, look through these. And she didn't know, but what she was pulling out was, um, was, was books of art history and books of, um, um, uh, design annuals from, um, from, uh, you know, Italian design annuals from the fifties and the sixties and, and graffiche annuals. Mm. So I was f f thumbing through these and reading these names and looking at this work that, you know, that we would, that we would think of as the, you know, the pantheon of, of design history. Um, all of that stuff that Philip Meggs collected and, you know, uh, all the genius stuff of all the Polish guys and Mueller Brockman and, um, you know, just the genius stuff. And um, I kind of, uh, it spoke to me then. And um, I kind of acquired an, a massive uh, design history at, you know, 11 years old and, and you know, not, not knowing. Um, but the stuff really spoke to me and it was just, it was, it was, um, vibrant and um just the 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 colors and again growing up in a town with no culture with no you know museum or something you, you don't see this stuff every day especially the yeah. and even now i feel bad for you know american students because they don't get exposed to that kind of stuff you know the european stuff true and so when you went to new york mm -hmm. at 19 were you then trying to do that thing all over again where you're trying to fit into what is good poster design in quotes uh you know i uh, i went to uh, at 19 i after i failed that one university i got a uh, um <clears throat> my dad was um he was working in the military but he also had a, a ski shop so i you know hence the uh, the heavy skiing family and yeah. he, um he brought home a flyer one day that somebody had come by and was trying to, you know, sell him some advertising. And it was this tiny little d design studio in, you know, in town. So I went to that studio and they basically made, you know, menus for restaurants, you know, mm -hmm. and dry cleaner windows and that, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, and that was an influence for me to kind of like, go oh you can make them you can make a living doing this perhaps so that's that the the guy who helped me there his name was pat dunahoe and he had he was a genius uh, who was kind of like at the end of his days and he just wanted to hide from all of it but he was like a huge um advertising guy in the you know in the 60s and he'd, he'd done a lot of stuff for nasa and done some beautiful things and then just wanted to uh, um, make birch bark canoes and have a small design agency, right? So he he 
said, oh, you should go to school for this. And I'm like, oh, there's what? <laughs> so I applied to like uh, all the schools on the East Coast uh, and I basically, I got accepted into all of them. And I wanted to go to the School of Visual Arts because it was in New York. And I thought, oh, the city of vision, that's where I'm going. So I went to SVA um, and I got to SVA and I kind of felt like it was a, at least the way it was taught then, or at least the classes that I unfortunately was either put into or selected. I don't think I was even smart enough to select classes, but um, it felt like a bit of an assembly line. Like everybody was walking through, walking through the four years with a little um, shoebox in front of them. And they would go from class to class and the instructor would put something in that shoebox. And at the end of the four years, you would have your shoebox full. And yeah. I'd already seen these, <laughs> this European stuff. And I'm like, grids, what's that? <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> color theory, what I'm supposed to wait, wait, I'm supposed to look outside of myself at some chart to tell me what fucking colors to use. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> you know, so I, yeah. I, I think I had much more of a, um, a painter in me mm. than, than, than a designer, you know? And, um, um, luckily one of my instructors, I finally got into in my second year. Cause I didn't last at SVA very long either. I was asked to leave, um, SVA, yeah. but I think in my second year, I took a class that was poster design, uh, with a wonderful old, um, um, uh, Polish guy named, uh, Rafał Olbinski. And he brought in a chunk of his collection of the European stuff. And I'm like, Oh, pff, duh. Yeah. Duh, uh, yeah. I gotta go. <laughs> I'm out of here. Thank you. Yeah. And, and that's when I actually literally went to, you know, went to Europe and met, you know, met, you know, all these, all these guys I'd seen in the books when I was 11, I, I, I went and rang the doorbells and went, you know, went looking for them and wrote articles about them. And, um, you know, that's when I, my, my real education, Andy started when I left school. Cause I realized I didn't know shit. Mm. That's when I started reading and reading good stuff, you know, reading like Gertrude Stein and, and, you know, and poetry and, uh, um, you know, the literature I was supposed to have read before. Yeah. So it's scary when you realize you don't know anything. It's a good, yeah, but it's the first step, right? Oh, it's that, a beautiful, it's beautiful. If you're brave enough to take it, it's amazing. That set, that thing that you talk about in your book, actually, the, uh, I don't know. Yeah. 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 You got to teach your, teach your tongue to say, I don't know. It's, it's a, the best. It's the best. It's, it's, it's completely freeing. There's a Epictetus quote that says, uh, you can't learn what you think you already know. And I take that. <laughs> I, I think about it all the time. I think about there's a humility, there's a humbling that's required to get good taste and to to develop and and all that. And I think sometimes when you go to art school and you're kind of force fed a bunch of ideas, and, and there's a, you know I'm not I'm not just shitting on art school. I think there's a ton of really great things that happen there. Of course, um, but I, I think that some people when they get kind of sold this this point of view and then it's they take it upon themselves that it's their own and there's this kind of chip on their shoulder they don't have that ability to empty themselves out and and develop their own point of view yeah you know yeah um, if you think if you think you know if you think massimo vignelli is god then you're pretty much screwed yes exactly, <laughs> because this is his because all you're doing is following you're you 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 know you you have you know you're making no contribution at, at all unless you use blue and that's huge <laughs> so uh, you okay here's an interesting thing um when you're at sva and you're seeing the difference between 
the the grids and the the shoebox approach and and all the rules and all that kind of stuff. And then you're seeing these European posters. I just have a sense that you must have had some kind of internal mechanism to say, at least from your point of view, one of these are good and the other one's not. And I just wonder what, over the years even maybe, you have figured out what you think is good design or good poster design even. Mm -hmm. What is it? You know, it's it's a great question, Andy. And I think there's two, it makes me think of two different things. I think it's not that one of is good and one is bad. Um, I was learning graphic design and that one was rules. Mm -hmm. And, but I was looking at genius and it's, they seem to have no rules. Yeah. Right. It was, it was the, the, the paper was as free as the canvas, right? It was like, it was like, um, um, there was a mat, there was an, there was a level of artistry. And I think that leads to the other side of it. So one is one part is like, okay, the design thing is fine, but it looks like a bunch of rules. And the other side was um, the rules that could be cr- cr- critique, critiqued by a teacher. You know, yes, no, yes, no. Um, right. <clears throat> the right way and the wrong way. Right? A rubric of some kind. Right. But... And the other side is that it um, um, there was a level of um, <clears throat> me looking at them both and saying, well, why can't they both? I mean, why do I need to discern between mm-hmm. art? and design. And that's the thing that people catch with, you know, people try to get me all the time with, you know, I'm, you know, I still, especially if I go to university, like they, you know, uh, to talk and I don't really show work anymore, but they, they'll know some of my work and they'll say, okay, so like this dead Indian poster, like you didn't have a client. So that's like more like art than design. And I'm like, oh, 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 you're one of those people who gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I don't give a shit. Yeah. You can give fuck, you can call it what you want. I mean, you, you know, you can call it Charlie Daniels. I don't care. Yeah. Oh, but please don't call it, it Darling Daniels. But, <laughs> Jesus, that was the worst. These, those posters, that series that you have uh, in the MoMA, what, what is it that – because I think that they're doing something uh, specific. They're doing something powerful. They're doing something, quote, unquote, good. Yeah. And it seems like you definitely have uh, this kind of – maybe it's a, a series of – core values, whether they're subconscious or conscious or, or whatever, but it seems like you have a definition of good and what, like, what is a good poster? Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use, um, Cassandra, the French, uh, the French, uh, um, AM Cassandra, the French poster designer. He mm. said a good poster enters through the eye and explodes in the brain. Mm. So there's this whole level of, um, timing involved. You look at it and you take it in and you might see, you know, you might see a big picture and a little word. And then when you read the little word, there's some relationship between that and the picture or there's some detail or there's like, there's like levels of meaning and it just gets bigger and bigger inside of your head. Mm-hmm. And for me, the stuff that's in the MoMA, you know, most of the, and I think most of it is I made when I was, you know, 29 or 30 yeah. and, but they all came, they weren't jobs wasn't like somebody came to me and said, Hey James, we need a poster about, you know, but they were situations that happened in, in my city and in my country and in, you know, my life. Um, um, so they were me as a citizen reacting and saying, Hey, I've got these tools and I can, you know, I can, um, I know printers, 
you know, I know how to get this shit up out on the, on the street for, to, yeah. to, for, for, for other people to react. And I just got, you know, I think, I think one, because I was just full of piss and vinegar and I had to do these things. These were just like, just driven. Yes. Um, that makes it so much easier. And also, it also makes them pregnant with meaning. You know, I, you know, I still get, I still get emails or notes from people who've, you know, who, who, who see the work and they're like, uh, dude, <laughs> you know, and I, and I, it, that's, that, that, that means a lot to me that they can still have legs and they're still viable. Mm. It almost seemed like a series of good design in terms of those posters communicated James Victoria's point of, point of view. Sure. In the same way that you could, you did do for clients. I think that the project you did with the, uh, I can't remember the exact, what office it is, but it's basically, I think it's getting work for ex-cons. Oh, the New York City right. Department of Probation. Yes. Wow. That and was, that was amazing. That was amazing. That yeah, what a project! Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about about that? What kind of like? <clears throat> yeah, that was a it? that was a super. Uh, just the serendipity and the timing was amazing. Um, we got contacted by a pal of mine, uh, architect uh, Jim Bieber, wonderful guy, super talented guy, and he he, he had gotten the job, the gig, to redesign the thirty three offices of the the New York city department of probation, the 33 offices around the city. And these are offices that if you got in trouble, not enough to go to jail trouble, you needed to report to one of these 33 offices, whether, you know, it was like a couple times a week or once a week or a couple times a month or whatever. And, um, you sat and waited and you, you, you fell out a form and you, you went and you talked to somebody through a little hole in a glass and you went and talked to your probation officer and you said, yeah, I've been a good boy, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so we were, we were tagged with, um, the, that, th that thin pentimento of graphic design, which is type and color. Right. Right. The DOP didn't have, it was just drab and the carpet smelled like piss and the ceiling tiles were falling in and Jim fixed all that and changed all the furniture and did, you know, amazing job. And we added the, some level of signage, like, you know, bathroom this way. And yeah. uh, they had no logo, so we gave them a logo. They had no identity, so we kind of gave them a, a, a system, a very simple system and a, and a font to follow through with. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the entire project lasted about probably a month or less because there was um, – whenever the government has money or budget, it usually has to be spent within, a, within a, you know, one of their quarters. So we had no time. And we were working directly with this guy, Vince Schiraldi, who was running the DOP. And he was an amazing guy. And um, it was kind of a situation as like, it was like, as long as you don't say anything bad, you can say anything you want. And at, uh, early in the process, we were, you know, this, the, this, my tiny little studio, the three of us were having lunch. And we said, you know what? You know what this client needs? These, these probationers, you know what these people need? They need art. Mm. They need art in their life. Let's give them art. And, you know, just like, just like I would do for New York city, New York city needs art in the streets, you know, mm -hmm. um, you got to go to a special room and pay money <laughs> to go see art. <laughs> it's fucked up shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. that's that the, that's right. the communist in me talking. Um, but, uh, uh, so we decided to make these, um, um, as, as luck would have it, I said, oh, 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 wait, when I was a kid, there was a poster that I had in my room that meant 
a lot to me. And it was a it was a kitten hanging from a <laughs> from a rope, and it said, "Hang in there, kitty. We got to do that." And what we did was we did we basically did um, parodies of those really super bad, you know, inspirational posters, like a picture of an eagle and it says vision, you know, and four jets (laughs) flying and it says teamwork, you know? Uh, So we did our parodies of those and it ended up being super, super meaningful to both the staff and the the visitors. It was crazy Mm. because, because we were allowed to speak in, in, in a, in an adult tone we were allowed to say things that quite frankly i think this audience has never been spoken to that way before you know directly and honestly and i think that's the thing that 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 always has always turned me on about graphic design is that it always has this it has that it has that potential if you let it but most clients and most design most designers don't think about that that's the subjective part that they don't put in it you know um um and and most clients um don't think about that either and the 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 difference is 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 not in the budget do you know what i mean like you don't you don't have to pay me more for <laughs> to play you don't have to pay me more to to move people i want to move people anyway yeah you know um but i think that's 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 what that's the the ultimate level of uh, of 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 ink on paper is when you can when you can move people and you can make something sexy and powerful and memorable yeah so I think that that series and, and the series for the moment and all your work, I think there's a, you have an ability to know your point of view and put it into the, the work that you're making. And I wonder if you could talk about what the process of that looks like, it, even in a detailed way of, you know, no matter who's listening to this, they're all creative people. Some of them are going to be making music. Some mm-hmm. of them are posters, whatever. It obviously goes down to knowing a point of view that you want to put into a creation and and somehow pinning that down. And then you do a great job of wrangle it, wrangling it even into a punchline where there's a clear, you know, th- that explosion in the, in the mind that mm-hmm. happens that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just talk about that process of how you find whatever that point of view, that that little nugget that's going to turn into a piece and, and what that looks like? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I can tell it in a funny story. Um, I had this um, assistant in uh, the last bunch of years when I was in, when I was back in New York, his name was Chris and he was a wonderful yeah. guy, super smart, um, really enjoyed his company. We enjoyed being together and we did a lot of great work he was uh, he was pretty instrumental in the dop thing but when he started he was fresh out of school and um whenever we got a gig um i'd say hey chris you know esquire called and blah 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 and he'd go oh cool what do they want and i used to have to i felt like um um sister ignatius notorious and i wanted to like smack his knuckles with a with a ruler right and say yeah. say say what bitch i don't know what they want they called me I guess they want yeah. me, yeah. <laughs> you know, they want what you want. That's, that's right. I don't know what they want. Um, and when a client does call me and, and tells me what they want, um, I give it to them in five minutes and I get paid and I, you know, and I, and I, and I take my name off of it. Sure. Um, so I don't know what people want. I, it's impossible to know what people want. People want, you know, kittens and porn. I don't know. Um, so my process is, <clears throat> is so much more powerful than trying to guess what people want. And my process is I sit back and I say, what do I want to say? 
Mm-hmm. What opportunity do, do, do we have here? And how can I play? How can I, how can I, how can I, you know, take, take work and turn it into serious play? How can I, how can I play and, and again, fill this thing with, uh, with meaning and emotion? You know, it's funny. I often, I often think of like the, uh, the very first, I think it was the very first Batman, which where, um, um, who was it that played the Joker? No, it might've been Keaton when Jack Nicholson played the Joker. I often find myself thinking like, I'm like, you don't, after he's fallen into the acid and the next time you see him, you see like the back he's talking, but all you see is the, is the back of a chair, you know? And he, and he spins around and he says, wait till they get a load of this. And I'm like that. I, that's how I feel in the studio. I'm like, I'm like, that's what I want to get to. I want to get to this point where I'm like, oh my, oh, I'm like, and I'm like showing it to my wife and I'm showing it to everybody going, oh, oh. And then I go to, then I, then I, I I just say out loud, oh, oh, they're never going to do this. They're never going to do this. And you know what, Andy? They fucking do it. Yes. They do it because that's, that's, that's what the audience wants. The audience doesn't want to be, you know, told. Yeah. They want to be part of the joke. They want to be, they want to, they want to be spoken up to. They want, they want their, um, um when in the DOP, the great thing in the DOP was like, um, uh, Vince Chiraldi told me the story that, you know, he was in the, 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 the downtown New York office when it opened and he saw one of the, uh, one of the probationers was reading this like small chunk of text that we had on the poster, um, that like tells the truth about, you know, what, whatever we're trying to say, you know, um, mm. like there ain't, like there ain't no shortcuts. It was supposed one yeah. of the posters said there ain't no shortcuts. And this text explained that. And he said the, the, the probationer is bending over and looking at the thing. And then he stands up and he looks at his probation officer and he says, that's what I think. Because I think if I can just relax and play and tell my truth and put it in my work, it it has it has that meaning for other people. And the way we the thing we we you know think the way we call it in the book is that in the particular lies the universal. You know, the more honest I can be and the more vulnerable I can be in my work, the more meaning it will have for other people. And, you know, and you, you, you know, your podcast is a success because you do a very good job of not answering, not asking those fucking stock questions. Yeah. You know, like whenever I go speaking and I'm like, I say, oh, who's going to introduce me? And they tell me, oh, yeah, uh, t- you know, Tony over there. And I go, I say, hey, Tony, um, I hope you're not going to read the boring bio. And he just gets this, you know, they always get this look on their face like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you've known me for five minutes. You can make up something. Come on. You know what? One thing that you said that I just want to highlight, something that I've found through doing the podcast, this is is like a subconscious thing that's happened. If I'm uh, brainstorming work, whether that's illustration or the podcast or whatever, I think it came from doing the podcast. I find myself kind of pacing, drawing, you know, whatever, but I'm repeating what you just said, which is what do I want to say? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the most, those are so, Andy, those are such powerful words. What do I want to say? It it is. And you know, and it's amazing because so so few people use that. I'm like, dude, it's free. Just, you know, (laughs) Yes. No, there's rules, James. There's rules here. But you've got to find that spark of what, when I've, whenever I've found, I'm always, and cause what I want to say is there's always a bunch of fluff around it at first. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like that, whatever. But you keep digging until it's like, boom, that, yeah. that thing. Yeah. I, and that, and that's when you say, 
you got to go show your wife or you're going to go show this person or the client or whatever. Cause you're like, I got it. I know what I want to tell them. Yeah. I want to go tell them. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because it's, um, it's, we, I call it whittling. So it's like taking a taking a a, yes. a blunt yes. a blunt a blunt stick that I could poke you with and you'd go hey stop it, but if I whittle it down further and further and further I make it sharper and sharper and uh, then then when I poke it poke you you're like ah oh, motherfucker yeah right and that's the difference that's what I want that's it that's what I want I you know got- Robert Robert Frost once once said he he wanted to write a poem that was barbed. Oh, yeah, that's good. beautiful. Oh, that's so good. Beautiful. I, I have this thing where I'll do, you know, I'll do a half hour, an hour on a, on an idea and I'll work really hard to figure out how to say it or whatever. And then I'll have some person on Instagram, uh, recap what I said and then say it more succinctly. And yeah. nothing pains me like that. I'm like, Damn it, I missed it. I missed that it's one. Best. It's I left it there on the yeah. ground. Yes. And so I, you know, I, I think you're, you're spot on there. Well, it's funny because yeah. la- say last night, last night when I had the, uh, my in-laws over for dinner and my, <clears throat> my, my kids were running around and my son had a tape measure and mm. he, he pulled it out to like three feet and then he's whipping it back and forth, you know, terrorizing his, his sister. And, yeah. um, I said, I said, I said, Wyatt, I said, you just can't, um, uh, whip it around like a weapon. And my wife just busted out and laughing. I she said, Oh my God. She said, do you know what I heard? I said, well, wait, what? No, what? What did you hear? She said, she said, she said, I thought you said you can't just whip it out like Hugh Hefner. That's brilliant. Oh that's that's just one of those things that if you're if you're really kind of paying attention yeah. and you're in the flow, I'm like, oh my god, baby, write that down. You got to use that. That is so yeah. good. And the visual of that, you can't get out of your head. No, that is ridiculous. <laughs> I think you, and that's you training your brain to notice those. Oh, to pay attention to it. Yeah. Yes. To pay attention. <laughs> now, one of your uh, one of your most watched videos is this idea of how do you find your style? Mm. And I think you have a bunch of interesting things about that. Well, actually, I'll tell you this. Uh, when I was teaching at the art school locally, this is a few years ago, I was always trying to show them videos of different people who exemplified that X factor. And I didn't quite have a feel of what it was, but I was showing them a bunch of different videos. And I remember showing them one of you and it really clicked for me because I realized that what you had was you had a context that people needed and understood, which is poster design. And, but you didn't just fit in, you stood out. You had a way of doing poster design that was recognizable, understandable. People knew James Victoria doesn't just make posters. He makes posters with grit and they say something and they stab you they're barbed right and and it was just this like the for me it clicked this thing of fitting in and standing out and striking this really uh kind of it's just uh, it's not unlike a focal point Mm -hmm. of making a pattern and then breaking it and i wonder if you can speak to you learn you learned a lot from these masters about what it means to make posters and then you, then at some point you learned how to make posters like you. Yeah. And I wonder what, how, what's the break in that? Cause that's where it gets interesting. Yeah. Um, f- first of all, bravo for you to trying to 
get students to understand that because that, that scares the shit out of them because that just leaves them, that leaves them standing out in the middle of a field. 100%. You know, Oh, you just put a target on my back. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks prof. Um, uh, yeah, I think the, I think the, uh, for me, a big part of the process was this thing that I, um, I don't know if I learned it or read it a bunch of years ago. I think I read it, but it was in a business book. Uh, but it was this line that says first learn everything, then forget it. And then, and then design like first, like, you know, be an interesting person, you know, know about design history and know about art and know about all these things. Um, and, 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 and life and yeah. And, 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 you know, uh, you know, have a girlfriend, lose a girlfriend, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then make all, you know, then forget it and forgetting it means let it just seep in. Let it become, you know, your, your, your blood and your sinew and your muscle and your, you know, um, you know, and, you know, and then, and, and, and then design and then, you know, then, and, and when you're designing, like I, my, my thing, whenever I'm talking to, um, um, opportunity to talk to designers, uh, I say, listen, if you're, if you go home and your library is full of design books, then you're, then you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Then you're myopic. Then you're coming from such a small place. Yes. Do you know? Because because that's all you know. That's like these like like I used to I, I, I had a girlfriend years ago who was a a, a yoga yoga instructor and she was like mm-hmm. on the cover of yoga magazine and she was like but she like ate slept and bred bred breathed yoga and it was she was the mo- yeah. most boring chick in the fucking world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strong back, <laughs> but, but, but boring girl. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And she taught yeah. me a lot. It was like, wow, that's totally not cool. No. Uh, and I think, I think, you know, if you as a designer can like, where it's, where it's, where it's even to the point where it's not so precious, mm-hmm. where it's not so precious, where, so when every job comes in, you don't go, oh my God, oh my God. And your sphincter shrinks and you're like, you get scared and. You know, and that happens to me too. It's like if someone comes to me and they've got like a, you know, a bundle of money, I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, okay, James, just breathe. It's cool. It's the same as, same today as it was yesterday. Just play. Yes. You know, and that's all that whole thing going back to just to hit upon it. Cause I think it's, this happened to me a million times. I heard, uh, Lisa Hanawalt say this on a podcast once. I just want to always try to reference things when they come up. She said that she would get these editorial jobs and uh editorial illustration and she'd instantly go to that thing of uh what do they want aka what would an editorial illustrator do yeah and and she realized like no they came to you because she they want you they want your thing yeah Yeah. it's funny i had a i had a relationship with esquire magazine for a bunch of years um where Mm -hmm. i where i you know go drinking in the office after hours and i knew the chief editor and the art director my it was a pal of mine i was at his wedding his Mm -hmm. he married my old assistant you know you know it's pretty in deep with with esquire did a bunch of covers for them and did a a lot of great work and and one day um and there's there's a million hilarious stories about them accepting accepting work but um yeah one day we were having a comment and i was like uh uh guys the the creative director his name was david kirk Kirk and i said kirk and i said i send you some crazy shit and you print it yeah (laughs) and he said he says oh james i don't i don't hire you as an illustrator i hire you as an artist yes and it was just uh and i don't know if that was more freeing or not 
Right. You know, more freeing or like, oh shit, now I got now I gotta do that yeah, thing. Yeah, <laughs> shit. Oh, I gotta put that thing on. I guess uh, you know, get out your paintbrushes. Yeah. You know, I yeah. um but I um again the if if you can train yourself to that they're all the same. Every single job mm-hmm. is the same because it's all you relaxing and just being able to play and ask yourself, you know, what do I think? Yes. What do I want to so, do? If I got if I have a, a poster job that I know is going to be seen by real people, like I'm working for working on one right now for Tulane University, and I know that it's going to be out in the you know uh, in in the street, and I'm like, oh my god, what what reaction do I want? Hmm. What kind of timing do I want to build into this thing? You know, I've got I've got a line of uh, of text that I have to use, so it's not just like a big green circle with nothing on, you know, nothing else. Yeah. I have a line of text and I'm like, how do I want people to read this? I want them to read it. I want them to read it the third time they walk by mm. where they finally go, Oh, do you, wait, do you see what that says? <laughs> <laughs> and where it, pro- where it proves itself in their head. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, that's, that's my process is just like, how can I, how can I do that? Yes. And then halfway through the process, I go, I can't do this. Of course. You know, I mean, that's like, you know, I go that's through, the, I, I, the cocoon and the, you know, yeah, I go through whale. all the same things, all the, all the early sketches for every single job that I make are the exact same sketches my mom could come up with. Yes. You know what I mean? Like we all do that. We all go to the obvious things, the cliches, but, but we have to learn how to go past those and, 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 and tear those cliches open or even just turn those cliches upside down. Yes. You know, the biggest compliment early on in my career was when I was making, you know, especially those really simple, simple posters from, from years ago, people would say, all he did was, and I'm like, yeah, dude, that's all I did. And it's fucking awesome, isn't it? <laughs> and I, I think about that i've been building a series out on this idea of the three-act structure and it's kind of what you're describing uh this this process of thesis which is like this is the way things are which is like these are the obvious ideas these are this is what's on the table antithesis which is everything deconstructing you're falling apart you're like what am i doing i'm a terrible you know and it's all falling to chaos and then synthesis is those two things together. It's like the, the the obvious things plus the deconstructed chaos that doesn't make any sense. And then somehow those come together to create. And, and obviously that's a, that's a, a simplification of the process because the chaos really is chaos. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, but that's what it sounds like you're describing. Dude, you should, you should, you should, you should, you should, you should write that book, dude. Think you'd be like the next Austin Cleon. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. I don't know how to write. Um, oh, but, uh, damn. Did I just hear you say that? Oh, damn. Yeah. Did you I'm just, did you just lie to me? You just fucking lied into yourself. That's crazy. I, yeah, it's not a good, it's not a good attitude. It's a, that's a big, uh, that's a, you know, that's a big block for me. Amazing. I, Andy, Jay, that's amazing to hear you say that. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't write. <laughs> I'm working on it. I, ha- you know, I have a, a book agent. She's pep talking me like, no, you can write. Like you, you know, can there's write something about it. I, I think writing is, and I wonder if this is your experience writing that book. I think, uh, I, maybe I can write and, and it's helped me to hear writers talk about 
how painful writing can be oh, with the rewriting and the, you know, trying to think in that way yeah. is, is quite a hell of a thing. Well, here's, that, the, here, here, your exp- here's the truth. Yeah. That, here's the biggest truth I know about writing is that writing, writing isn't hard. It's the sitting that's hard. Yeah. It's like being able to sit for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours and, you know, and, and just pay attention and do that thing is, is, that's the hardest part. And, you know, when I wrote, when I was working on, um, um, Victoria or who died and made you boss, my, my, my first book, the big, huge, uh, mm-hmm. coffee table book, um, uh, I was looking around for a ghostwriter cause I didn't want to do it. I, I'm in those shoes. Yeah. And then I was talking to my editor, um, real sm- smart gal, uh, Deborah Aronson from, um, uh, she's at Fiden now, I think. She was at Abrams then. And she said, well, why don't you write it? And I said, I can't write. But I couldn't find a ghostwriter. So I reluctantly you know, did it myself. And then I handed her over the transcript. And then she handed it back. And all she did was like move commas and, you know, take run on sentences and change. And I said, I said, Deborah, what did you do? She said, "Oh, no, I fixed your you fixed your copy." I said, "No, you're supposed to make it sound like someone who's smart." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah. that's what an editor did. Like, yeah, fix. Put this. it in English, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. But um, at the same time, um, I was reading um, um, I was reading uh, Anthony Bourdain's first book, Kitchen Confidential, and mm-hmm. it was, and it just blew me away the way he wrote. Because he wrote the way yeah. he spoke. And I was like, oh, damn. If you just, and here it is, the same thing in graphic design. If you just tell the truth, it yeah. works. True. Don't yeah. try to write, Andy. Just try to just try to be you. Try to tell the truth. That's so good. I, I've been reading uh, this book. It's, a, it's called uh, Poking a Dead Frog. It's interviews with comedians. And reading that has real, it's similar to what you're describing with Anthony Bourdain, where I'm like, reading it and I'm just getting into that truth telling that space of feeling where like, Oh, they're just like, right. That's what writing is. And I think that there's, it it almost trains your brain to get into that play space. And Mm -hmm. that has been helping. That's for sure. Cool. That's super encouraging. Cool. Uh, so one last thing I want to say was your new book, effect perfection. Uh, it seems a little bit pointed, (laughs) this is kind of a joke, but it seems kind of pointed at the design industry. Like sometimes I have a feeling that you, you love design, maybe love, hate design. You know, you love art, you love posters. And, uh, you know, you, you go, you kind of told the story by going through school and all that and and feeling that. And I wonder if you just kind of want to say like, it's not about the kerning. It's not about the perfection. It's not about the grids. And I, and actually I think you're right, but do you, do you feel like this book is pointed at some of that? You know, it's funny. I, I hadn't thought about that. Um, um, I hadn't thought about that, but I can totally see that. I can totally see it. And listen, so when I said the sitting, is the yes. hard part. My process for writing was I would get up at 4.30 in the morning um, because it was the only time that I could have like solitude. I knew I had yeah. solitude for an yes. hour, an hour and a half. And I'd, I'd sit out on the porch with a, with a blanket around me and my laptop in the dark and I'd have a little mm. camping coffee maker because I didn't want to wake anybody up. And I'd sit there writing. And while I was writing, I had the voices in my head, the critique, the critics, right? Mm. And the critics were... Um, my New York design pals. Yes. 
they were saying, you, you're going to say that? And I'm like, just fucking shut up. Get, go, shut up. Go away. Right? It was really difficult to say, oh, dude, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do that? You're going to say those things? You know? Yeah. Because, and then I, I had to remind myself that this is not a design book. It's not for designers. It's for create. Like you said earlier, it's, it's for your, your audience. It's for people who think they have a creative bone in their body. And it doesn't matter if they're doing gardening or, or, or parenting or whatever. You know, do it creatively. And um, yes, I do think that there are things, there are obviously things in the design community, these cliches that designers fall back on. And it just makes their lives easy. I understand. But it also makes their lives small. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like the whole kerning or typography thing. Who gives a flying fuck? Who cares what typeface it is? Just fucking tell the truth. It's the truth works in any font. I don't care, <laughs> you know, and don't give me this fucking oh, comic sans har har har. Don't give me this, this fucking cliche, dumbass designer jokes. You know, yeah. I, so, so yes, I, I think the, I think the, that the, the industry makes it hard for people because we have those, those cliches um, yeah. about, but I, but I think that the business, the, 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 the business can be so much more interesting personally for people if they if they understand that who they are and what they have and their 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 sense of the macabre or their sense of sexuality or their sense of humor um or their sense of shyness you know becomes part of the work and is much more important than any decoration that you can yes. do and the thing is what you're doing then is you're putting yourself out there as being vulnerable and authentic and weird, because weird is a big, huge part of this book. Yes. And when you do that, and you do it well, and I, I see, I see it in in your work and in your life. When you do that and you do it well, what happens is the most beautiful thing in the world is that other people relate to that and say, "Andy J Pizza, you're weird. Oh my God, I'm weird too. I thought I yeah. was the only one." Yep. And what happens is you create relationships like that, and you create businesses like that and you create an audience like that and then you fucking get paid for it how yeah. about that yeah. and then you don't have to sit around at a at, at dinner with a bunch of designers critiquing the fucking typography on the menu oh my god slip my fucking wrists <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah the way i think about it and i feel like you're kind of the person who the, the voice that tells Luke Skywalker when it's time to quit listening to Yoda. Like, <laughs> there's a, you know what I'm saying? Cause I think it, that's the hero's journey is there comes a time where the mentor can't take you any further yeah. and you have to make, be your own hero. Yeah. And, and I think that all of those cliches are examples of people selling themselves out to the rules and the rules we all know learning the rules and you've said it here, learning the rules is a part of the process. But it's not the the end result. It's yeah, not the, yeah. If you if you if you if you follow the rules, you're going to be thoroughly unhappy. Yes. You know, because life is and just going to get smarter, smaller, and smaller. Maybe you can leave us and end us here with the uh, with what you say about owning your weird. I can I can pitch it harder than that, but I don't want to steal your thunder. <laughs> pitch it harder. Give me a <laughs> clue. What did I say? <laughs> Just <laughs> you said you're talking about what makes you weird when you're oh, young. Yeah, what makes you weird as a kid? 
Yeah, what makes you weird yeah. as a kid makes you great today. And it's like people, I have people who come, you know, um, um, who want to uh, want to work with me here at the ranch. We do workshops here at the ranch. And they come from, Andy, they come from around the world, literally. And they come and they're like mid-career, you know, or they've been in the business for a couple of years. And they, you know, they, and they've got, um, they've got uh, the house and the family and the stuff going on. And they're, and they, they're crying in their car on the way home from work. You know, and they're like, you know, what do I do? What can I? And I have to just remind them of their creativity, of why they got involved in the first place. And I have to remind them of, you know, of what made them interesting and what made them weird as a kid. And and what that is, is, is where their power comes from. Because they, that's why they got involved in this business in the first place and didn't become a, you know, a tax attorney. Yeah, because they felt some 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 belonging to the creative world, but then they got into business and they learned how to make money and forgot. You know, I mean, the first the first line in the book is says says you know um, we were all born wildly creative, but some of us just forgot. You know, so it's not my job to to tell anybody anything, but it's my job to remind people. Of the, of, of the power they already have. You don't have to learn design. You don't have to learn the rules. You have to pay attention to yourself and you have to learn how to make yourself happy. And that will make other people happy. And then all of a sudden you're known for being you. You know, my job is to get paid to be James Victoria, not to try. Yes, that's fantastic. I'm going to ask you one quick end question. I told you that was going to be the end, but this is the real end. Oh, you talk about... <laughs> You talk about vibrations in your book and, and you talk about getting into this meeting with a guy in business and he's all jazzed out of his mind about his own life. And then he starts talking about the business and the brief and he's like lost all his vibration, <laughs> lost all of his excitement. And I wonder, uh, I know that just from reading your story and, and knowing about you that you, that you've had the ebbs and flows of those vibrations of going into feeling like you're right in the center of it and super excited to feeling like you're out of it and, and not knowing what to do. What do you have in your utility belt to zap yourself back into getting those vibrations going when you notice that's kind of when you've lost it? Yeah. Well, a, cu- a couple of things. One is that um, I never lose it. I just forget you know, yeah. it's not a, it's not a, it's not something that you go looking for, you know, it's there all the time. It's there all the time. You know, your voice, your energy, your, your vibrations, it's there all the time. It's just like, you know, it just something, you know, like with the people who come to the workshops that needs to be deeply unearthed, you know, yeah. for a lot of people. Um, um, and so, and a lot of these people who come here, I mean, they go home and they fucking, you know, they change their lives and it's awesome to watch. Um, but yeah. the, the, I think the biggest thing, the, the most approachable answer is that, um, we need to learn how to be gentle on ourselves because, you know, you can't have it all the time. You can't, you know, you, I, I can't access, I can't access that all the time. It's like, I can't, I've never had like a nine to five creative work because I can't imagine trying to be creative at not from nine to five. Okay. You can finish your coffee now. Go (laughs) be creative until lunchtime, you know? Um, so the biggest thing is to want to be gentle on ourselves and know that, you know, it, 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 you know, it's, it's the muse and it, it, it sometimes wants to go, you know, away. 
and we have to just uh, relax and know that it'll come back and trust tr- trust ourselves and trust our weirdness and trust our our intuition and all these tools that we were born with and you know we 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 have it and it'll be there when when we need it you know i've been i've had a lot of downtime lately uh energy wise because of uh because of the that the, the accident that I was that I went through and I have to remind myself constantly and say tomorrow may be better and all I need is three hours and I will clear the decks the energy will be there everything will be there and I will like poof, miraculously and and on top of it miraculously everything seems to always get done and if it doesn't get done it doesn't need didn't need to happen <laughs> so you gotta have to accept you know those wonderful things about life you you kind of described uh, <clears throat> in the book after you hit thirty five, you had done more than you'd really set out to do, and it seemed like there was a low point there of that vibration leaving or this kind of energy leaving and this kind of big questioning thing. It was huge, yeah. That, that that was creepy, man. That was not creepy. That was just like that was that was hard. That was hard. That was yeah. me. That was me resisting being me. You know, I was, I was, I'd been a graphic designer. I, I, I had to, um, you had, you pointed out something earlier. You said the journey of the hero, the journey of the hero was, is yeah. definitely the chapters in my book are the journey of the hero. It goes from, you know, yes. understanding a voice all the way through to purpose. Um, you know, it's all, you know, Joseph Campbell is heavy throughout the book, but, um, mm-hmm. um, I had left my purpose behind and I was a, I was a commercial graphic designer and it was thoroughly, you know, unappealing and I became, um, it took me a long time. Well, actually what had to happen, it was a huge, a huge explosion had to happen and I went through a divorce and that's, you know, unfortunately that's what happens, has to happen sometimes, uh, to shake you out of your tree, you know? And I, uh, um, it took me like five to seven years to, to, to figure out, to figure out how powerful and how strong I was. And it scares me, you know? Um, even now I'm like, and now I had another big, terrible shakeup with this accident. And, you know, the way my wife describes it, I broke, you know, I broke 10 ribs in a, in a, in a, in a, in a collarbone. I'm like busted all over. And the way my wife describes it is she, she said, your heart is just getting bigger and your body needs to make room for it. Mm. So that, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing now. I'm just like, I'm, 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 I'm going through that process again of growing. It's like, it's like the, uh, the classic, you know, the, what it takes for a lobster to, you know, the painful process of getting out of its shell so it can get to a, you know, so it can grow. Yeah. But we all have to go through that and we don't want to. No. <laughs> we don't want to. No, everyone wants to avoid pain. Oh, avoid pain at all costs. Yeah. And unfortunately, let's just, let's just talk about typography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to do on this, you know, creative professional podcast is let's talk about pain. Um, that's, that's normal. Uh, well, James, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. This is like, been phenomenal. It's been a know. real pleasure, man. It's been really great to talk to you. It's uh, you know we met a bunch of years ago in uh, you know in a big crowded room, and uh, I'm glad yes. we got I'm glad we got to sit down together. Me too. Thanks, Superman. Go check out. Go get James Victoria's book, Feck Perfection, right now. Wherever you get your books, go check it out. Go find it. This thing is beautifully illustrated. It's chocked full of creative, creative career insights. And it's, it's, 
it's great. Go check it out. James Victoria, uh, you know, I feel like we're different sides of the same coin. If you find me to be a little bit too cuddly, a little bit too uh, cute, a little bit, not some, maybe you love me, but you need, sometimes you need something a little edgier, a little grittier, a little bit more kicking the pants. Go check out James Victoria. He's also super lovely and he'll make you feel great and excited and, uh, and get you started on making the work that you're born to make. Go check it out. Feck Perfection, this guy, uh, I'm so, thank you, man, for being on the podcast. You are so brilliant and you're doing such important work. We love you. We appreciate you. Hope to have you on again soon, man. Thank you so much. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for the soundtrack to this show. You can go listen to the soundtrack. Makes for great instrumental music to work to at Spotify or Apple Music. Search Creative Pep Talk soundtrack, you'll find it. Thanks, Alex, and thanks to me for editing this show. We are going to be right back next week. And until then, stay pepped up.